to What If I Don't Like It with your host, Katie Baldessaro. This episode's guest will be musician and author Jesse Sterling Harrison of Mystic Warrior, and the film discussed will be the 2017 sports comedy biopic, I, Tanya. Welcome back. This is episode five. We are starting out a new month. It's February, and this month's theme is going to be musicians. This episode, we're going to have musician and author Jesse Sterling Harrison, who worked with me as Corrosion Overlord on the film soundtrack for Girl in the Basement, which you can see on YouTube just by googling Girl in the Basement. You can also find it in the liner notes. He's coming to us this time as Mystic Warrior, which is a new band that he's doing that has an album that is coming out today. As as you hear this live, you will be able to go to his website. Uh, you can see it in the liner notes, of course, or you can just go and put in Mystic Warrior on Facebook. That's the easiest way to find him. And you'll find that album today, as well as other things about the band and their touring schedule the clips in between on this episode will actually be clips from that album, so you'll get a little sampling of what to expect when you go over and check out the rest of his music. He's going to be on talking about his dislike of biopics, which I found out is not really that hot of a take in the film industry. While researching this topic, I found some people were pretty spicy about what they wanted to say about their dislike of this particular topic. The best, in my opinion, was one person said, you could completely remove the genre of biopics from filmmaking and not affect filmmaking creatively in the least. Burn. Wow. Burn. But, you know, it does have a lot of tropes. It does often not try and challenge us too much. I mean, we're going to go into all of the reasons why Jesse doesn't like biopics right in our first segment. But I, too, also don't really like biopics. So it was a little difficult for me at first to think of what would be a good film to kind of say... Look, the whole genre shouldn't be completely thrown out. I do feel like what I just said about it not affecting filmmaking at all is hyperbolic. So when I came to I, Tanya, I wasn't entirely sure if it would count as a biopic. And I know that some people listening to this may feel like it doesn't. It doesn't count as a biopic. It's a sports mockumentary. Mockumentaries, in my feeling, should be about something that's completely fake. A mockumentary technically could just be any kind of fake set documentary, and this does have that aspect to it. There is a break of the fourth wall. There are characters that speak directly to the camera. But it is also about a real-life person in our world and real-life events that happen to them. And that's kind of what a biopic is, in my opinion. So we're going to include it, and if you don't feel like that is good enough for you, then, I don't know, go watch Oppenheimer again. I didn't pick Oppenheimer because it was way too long and not particularly something that Jesse wanted to watch. And again, we're going to talk about this in just a couple of minutes. What is interesting about that pick, though, is I picked that well before the controversy that has just happened with Margot Robbie and her not getting a nomination for Barbie. This film she got a nomination for but didn't win. She lost to Frances McDormand in three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. And I can't help but feel like there is a very common thread between this film and what is happening to the actress who starred in this film. 
This film is about a woman who does not get accepted for awards from an institution that is very milquetoast, very straightforward, and finds her to be too much, too loud, not the image that they are going for. So in a way, it feels like this is a very topical choice to what we're experiencing right now, even though it didn't come out of that decision in the first place, because Margot Robbie is also a woman who is causing a lot of ruffled feathers and may not be getting the recognition that she deserves, because I think she is a phenomenal actress in Barbie and also in this. And if you'd like to see more of her acting and you are not familiar with this role and you're not familiar with her performance in this, I strongly suggest that you check it out and, and you know, maybe come back to this podcast after you've listened to it or listen to it at least the first half so that you can get excited like Jesse will and then catch it and come back to us. It's really going to be worth your time. I don't want to go too far into that and spoil what we're about to talk about, so I'll end it right there. But I do want to remind you that I am still doing movie runtime on TikTok, which is where I will review one film a day that I have ellipticaled for the duration of. I'm going to be trying all different kinds of films. If you have any suggestions, I would love to hear them. Right now, I'm maxing out at about two and a half hours and kind of staying at the right around the two-hour mark for most of the films that I'm doing. I'm having a really fun time doing this. You can follow me on Letterboxd by looking up Katie Baldessaro, or again, check those liner notes, and you'll see all the reviews for this for Movie Runtime on Letterboxd, or you can go to TikTok, look at at Movie Runtime. That's my account. Please follow me. Please enjoy these videos that I'm putting out for you because that will be the same letterbox review, but spoken out to you, acted out to you from my visage, which you are not getting in this podcast. So if you'd like to see the voice behind the podcast, come on over to TikTok. I swear it's not scary. This is my first time on TikTok. I've been on for, for just one month as this episode hits today, and it's been a lot of fun, and I've been finding some really, really interesting movies that I would not have tried, and finding some really interesting perspectives out there. There's a really wonderful movie community, especially if you are a horror fan. There's a lot of really fun stuff out there, and really lovely people who want to talk to you about films. So come join us. Try to make it fast. Welcome to episode five, our episode about biopics. I'm joined with Jesse Sterling Harrison, who is a musician and an author and all around really awesome guy. Oh yeah, and and personal friend of mine. Right on. So you are an artist. I often bring people on because they make art, and I think that it's interesting for other artists to talk about art because you can come at it from a bunch of different ways. This month we're doing two musicians. I've got you, and I've got Conan mm. Neutron. So we're we're looking at movies as musicians, and you have a new album coming out. Yes, uh, yeah. The the project is called Mystic Warrior. And sort of like uh, Nine Inch Nails is Trent Reznor, uh, Mystic Warrior is me. Um, <laughs> and 
you know, I, le- I left it open because I'd love to have more people join the band and then make it an actual band. Nice. Uh, but it was recorded mostly by me and, and our buddy Josiah on drums on one track. Awesome. Uh, and I, I played everything else like, like a one-man band. So, yeah, that's coming out uh, early next month. I'm excited to start playing some shows behind it and all that stuff you do. The bumps in between segments this week are samples from that album, so you get to have a little teaser of what to expect, which is nice. Yes, we're doing that on both. uh, both, Since we've got musicians and we've got spots for music, let's put some music in this show so you guys can experience some music. If you're not familiar with the movie that we are here to talk about, I, Tanya, I don't want you to get disoriented and be like, I don't remember this track from that film. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. I'm guessing. I haven't seen it yet. I'm guessing that most of my material would be uh, extremely inappropriate for that movie. Although your material is the music in my short film, Girl in the Basement. So if if you want to catch some of Jesse's stuff as well, you can watch on YouTube, Girl in the Basement. That'll be in the liner notes. uh, And you can see how you're really also great at doing uh, music for movies, like ambiance music. I don't know. What would you call that? Well, filmic is the term that we tend to toss around. Yeah, and sometimes you hear music that's not a soundtrack that sounds filmic, like something like Seeger Rose or someone like that, mm-hmm. uh, where it's it's evocative and usually wordless. Mm-hmm. So you can uh, you can imprint whatever your brain wants to on the the piece. I like having a cue. Like I, I write stuff from out of the ether. You know, I'll be driving the truck and I'll start humming a melody, and then that becomes a song. Mm-hmm. But it's much easier to start with some sort of a cue or like a color wheel concept where someone else comes in and says, okay, well, I have this baseline. Uh, what drum beat would you play to that? Or I have this movie, what kind of music would you put to it? And so the cue already exists. You know, your film was the cue mm-hmm. and I could just riff on that and say, okay, well, this image makes me think of this sound or this texture. And uh, I've always found that stimulating and easy and it always takes the work in a different direction that's interesting and and is that the same for when you write lyrics on that or do you feel like the lyrics just come do you do lyrics first if you're doing a lyrical piece and then find the music almost never almost always the opposite way around and i think probably out of habit because i started as mainly a guitar player so i would write a guitar riff and then i'd say okay what comes next i'd write a second guitar riff okay it needs a bridge all right, third guitar riff, and now here's the song. And then the lyrics would come on top of that. And and that was just an intellectual exercise of playing through the guitar parts and saying, asking myself, what does this sound like? You know, what does this remind me of? And uh, and it has to be something that connects with something in my own life. Mm. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't need to be about me, but it has to be something that I heard about or got obsessed with or saw happen or something. You know, they're, they're not all going to be ex-girlfriend songs. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I mean, Taylor Swift yeah. is working that for, for herself. So, you know, if that works for you, do it. But <laughs> yes, it's it's a rich vein of creativity for sure, because there's always a lot of emotion behind mm-hmm. it. But also there's some sort of a unique event, you know, some sort of a uh, a pivotal event in the relationship that's rich in imagery and it makes it really easy to write about and and for people to connect with. But it doesn't just have to be love life. It could be work life, it could be family, it could be, you know, anything that's a a common experience among other people. That's really interesting because I often think about people who write songs or pieces to be sung by someone else and how how hard that could be Mm. 
for both the singer to relate and for the writer to write. It's it's kind of, you know. Yeah, it, it is odd. And I was just listening to a, a podcast from one of my favorite musicians working right now, Devin Townsend, who got his start as a session vocalist. Mm-hmm. He was uh, He was singing lead for Steve Vai, who is a guitarist who doesn't sing. But Vi had written the lyrics and Devin had to sing them. And he said after that, his experience was just so weird that singing someone else's words that after that, he focused on, on writing all his own lyrics and stopped doing the session vocals. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I can relate. <laughs> so this brings me to a very interesting thing that I kind of realized talking to Conan yesterday and kind of realized, well, well, looking at our topic today of biopics, hmm. I think that musicians have a harder time with biopics because many biopics are about musicians or famous bands, mm. and they seem to show the creation of music or the musical creation process as being mostly luck and kind of like, <laughs> oh, wait, what's that cool noise? Play it again. Or somebody <laughs> says something to them and they're like, that's a perfect lyric. Mm-hmm. That's true. Do you relate to that? I, I do in a sense because the the creative the, the moment of inspiration is a moment you know it's it's a thing that you can't mm-hmm. seek you just have to be open to it all the time and so that's I think I wrote an article about this for some music blog about how the actual process of writing the meat of a pop song or rock song is minutes long you know it's not if if you're working on a song for hours and hours. Uh, you know, it shouldn't take you six hours to write a rock song lyric because it's like it's like 200 words or less. You know, it should be pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Then it may be a quick, a quick passive editing. But all of that comes from something really small or like a vocal hook. It could be three notes. The key lyric in the chorus could be eight words. But there's something about that that sticks in your head when you hear it. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. so you, I'm sure you've been around the groups of friends and someone will say something and someone else will say, that's the name of my new band, or that sounds like a country song. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's this stuff is just floating around in your life or in society or, mm-hmm. or whatever. But it, obviously there's a process from taking that little snippet of something and fleshing it out into a full song. Yes, and I think that that's what's missing hmm. in biopics is they make the, they make it look like it's not very much work, and it is a lot of work. Like for me, somebody will say something, and it will be the moment of inspiration, but it won't be as big. It'll it'll be kind of like getting grit in an oyster. Hmm. Like I'll just sit on it and ruminate on it and work on it and push it through different lenses and try it in different tones and talk to different people about mm-hmm. what they think about it. And eventually I'll come up with something at the end, but it's 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 almost like when they try and depict hacking in a movie. Like they can't do it honestly. It's boring as fuck. Like it wouldn't look cool. Right. Yeah. It's, I spent eight hours overnight writing code. Yeah. That's not that's yeah. not filmic. <laughs> It's not filmic at all. And so a lot of times when you look at biopics, there's this question of, are they going to stay true to the facts and educate us about this person? Mm-hmm. Or are they going to like make it entertaining? And so whenever I watch a biopic, I'm worried that I'm going to like, like Troy isn't a biopic, but I was so worried about watching Troy because I didn't know enough about the actual history of, uh-huh. of the events that I was like, I'm going to learn it wrong. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to like be on Jeopardy and it'll be the winning question and I'll answer wrong because <laughs> I remember what happened in the movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's uh, it, yeah, that's it's interesting. 
And some people really like that catching inconsistencies and anachronisms. Mm -hmm. My wife, Marie, is, is such a person who catches continuity errors on the first pass through a movie or show. It's amazing. She has a very good eye. She does. It, it amazes me, too, because I'm I'm watching, I'm functioning on a completely different level if I'm involved in, in the material. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not analytical whatsoever. I'm just letting the experience wash over me. You know, like the next day in the shower or driving to work, that's when I'll have my thoughts about it. Mm-hmm. But until then, it's just I, I'm experiencing it as though I was there. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I do try and let myself sit before I make a review, at Mm. least like an hour or two, because I will find that I'll like oscillate wildly and change my mind about things in that like Mm -hmm. period of time. And of course, if something is like picking at me for weeks, then I guess that was a pretty good movie because I can't put down the topic. Yes. Or it's a, it's a, a movie with layers Mm -hmm. because you know, how many movies have you enjoyed and then not thought about for one minute afterwards, plenty. But the movies that I come back to or that I think are really important are the ones that are entertaining on that first level or at least very riveting Mm -hmm. and then thought-provoking later on. This is a great question. Let's get a baseline on you as a film viewer. What are some of your favorite movies? Wow. Uh, So, uh, you know, long, uh, long not dethroned would be Fury Road by George Miller. Yes. Other movies that are up there uh, would be uh, Fargo by the Coen brothers Mm -hmm. and also A Serious Man by the Coens. That's another one. Mm. And then some more abstract movies like Tree of Life, Mm -hmm. Upstream Color, Mm. one of my favorites ever. Okay. And and then we just watched uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Which immediately became my in my top five. You know, as soon as halfway through it, I was like, "This is a top five. <laughs> you know, easily. Yeah, blew blew my mind. Yes, these guys. The they're called the Daniels, uh, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. Mm-hmm. I'm always never sure if I'm saying his last name right. Um, they are amazing filmmakers and filmmakers and what i love about everything everywhere all at once is it's so unexpected and so joyous and so strange and it really just makes you excited as any kind of artist to see something like that get embraced yes and just be like oh my god i could be my weirdest self (laughs) and make my weirdest art and it might actually be transcendent yes Uh, did you know that they originally wanted jackie chan to play the lead character that did not want it to be a woman it wasn't supposed to be michelle I believe I read that and mm-hmm. uh, it just, you know, I've read a few things about that production and just everything about it uh, seems so serendipitous. I know it's not. Mm-hmm. I know that it was hard work on their part, mm-hmm. but they, they were really putting themselves out there into something that should not have worked as well as it did. They took a lot of chances mm-hmm. and, you know, and what they made was a movie where I laughed continuously through act two and cried continuously through act three. I've never seen anything like that. Well, I am going to, as we continue to digress for just a small moment, because this is a delicious digression, (laughs) I want to recommend the movie they made just before Everything Everywhere All at Once. Hmm. It's called Swiss Army Man, and it stars Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. And I have to remind you that Daniel Radcliffe is in his I'm crazy phase. (laughs) Wow. The premise is... Paul Dano is washed ashore on a a deserted island and he's about to commit suicide when uh, Daniel Radcliffe's body washes up on shore and he's completely dead. But not mostly dead. 
<laughs> just well, questionably dead, I okay, guess, okay. because it turns out through the use of I can't even tell you that much about it because it is so absurd. Okay. But it is like it's disgusting, it's beautiful, it's heartwarming, it's sad, it's humorous, it's purient, it's everything. It's like as messy as life could possibly be in this little nugget of a delicious film, and I think that you mm. will enjoy it. So ah. it's available on HBO Max. I loved it as much as I loved everything everywhere at once. Really? I think because I love these guys, and it also got me excited again about how weird you can make a story. Right. Well, the, to tie it back to music, this is like you discover an artist who's in their prime, mm -hmm. and then that makes you want to go back and see how they got there. Yeah. And often, you know, sometimes the first record is, is you know, incendiary and brilliant and is a unique voice and seems fully formed. But I think more often you go back and you find the earlier stuff, if you can, if it's released anywhere, and you can see the, the germ of the idea. Like, okay, they've got something here. It's not refined, and, and and you know later, three albums after that, you think, okay, here is an artist in their prime, uh, who's found their voice. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I I love going back to see, okay, where did this come from? You know, what did they try prior to that and have success with, or fail miserably and learn from that? Yeah. What other beautiful paintings have this have they possibly made? Yeah. So getting back onto topic with biopics, basic question. Why do you not like biopics? Uh, I was thinking about this prior to our talk uh, this evening, because we had I had a, a couple weeks to uh, to ponder it, uh, knowing that we'd, we'd mm -hmm. have this conversation. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I'm not an entirely neurotypical movie viewer. Nor am I. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fine, and there's so much content out there. There's there's something for all of us weirdos. You know what I found is I I commit to the work pretty heavily. And that means I don't, I don't want distractions. I don't want to talk to people during the show, at least not if there's dialogue happening, because I can't hear, I literally cannot hear two voices at once. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just a thing I have. And so, yeah, if there, if there's dialogue on the TV show and someone across the room says, Hey, Jesse. And then, you know, mm. at that point, all I hear is static. I get 0% of either input. Uh, <laughs> And I have to rewind the show or movie and ask the person to repeat themselves. So, yeah, for this reason, I guess I like stuff that transports me somewhere that I haven't been. Mm. So if if something's too similar to my own life or too similar to, quote unquote, normal life, then I'm less likely to get interested in it. And so I, I find I tend to really dig world building shows or films. Oh, absolutely. Yeah because I'm, I'm learning something new and I'm being taken out of my normal life into something that's escapist. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so usually I don't like the, the, the biopics because they're often, what's the word? They're prosaic. You know, the, the world is too similar to what I've known. Mm -hmm. there's, no, uh, there's no monsters. There's no different physics. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no secret society running <laughs> everything. It's just you know, it's and and often they use images, especially if they're from a celebrity or a historical figure within the last hundred years. They use images mm -hmm. and footage that I have literally already seen. Yes. and so my brain doesn't want to. It's like Teflon for my eyes. My brain doesn't want to mm -hmm. focus on it because it's already seen it, and I get easily distracted, and I don't really want to pay attention. <laughs> and it's like I kind of lived through this, so I remember what happened. Right. Yeah. And, and what I tell people who want to know what kind of stuff I like, 
I'll say Fury Road, and that speaks volumes, I think. Everyone is like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, I'll tell them about Lincoln with Daniel Day-Lewis, mm-hmm. which was a movie that my wife wanted to watch. Mm-hmm. And and I sat down on the couch next to her, not tired, you know, 6.30, 7 p.m., and I was asleep immediately. <laughs> and and I'm not someone who falls asleep in movies, but that was that was the dullest first two minutes of a movie that I've ever seen. Honestly. Put me right out. That movie is so strange. I, I did make it a little further, although I did not make it all the way through. I will admit <laughs> yeah. I also fell asleep. It's got a lot of scenes of Daniel Day-Lewis literally center frame monologuing and every other actor is just staring at him mm-hmm. beautifully. And it's like, is this, a, this is barely a story. This is how, so disinteresting mm. to just listen to a bunch of stage monologues while we all adoringly look at our main character and it mm-hmm. does feel not real but also really boring right well that was definitely an oscar bait type of film most biopics are yeah yeah and i suspect it was probably very well done well edited mm-hmm. that's i don't know because i didn't watch the actual movie and when people say that a biopic is well acted, they're often just saying that the main person looked a lot like or did a really good impression of hmm. the person, right? So it right. doesn't even really feel like good acting. Uh, there's a show called Mindhunter that revisits various serial killers that we've all heard of and seen before, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in, in which their, their uh, actors are incredibly cast to portray these serial killers who we've both seen and and probably heard speak as well. And every guy they bring in just nails it. Yes. Did you see Blackbird as well? Uh, I have not seen that. The reason I'm tangenting to that is it's another show that has a a serial killer in it. And the serial Mm. killer is played by Paul Walter Hauser, who is an actor who is in this film that we're going to watch. Oh, okay. I think he is is exactly what you're describing in Mindhunter, where you got these actors who were – doing an impression but it was quite good acting like Mm -hmm. an example of how you could be somebody in a way that does feel like impressive acting oh yeah yeah to live in you know the the method actors i guess they're uh they're going to live in some cabin with a bunch of i don't know skulls on the wall or something to prepare for the role and yeah i'm sure they have their method I was uh, talking to Conan, uh, who is in our next episode, Conan Neutron, about Moonstruck and how Mm. Nicolas Cage is such a method actor, such a method actor, that he almost didn't get Moonstruck because he had to do his audition with his two front teeth missing. Because he had just been in the film, uh, like some, some, I think it was Pretty Bird or something. He was in a film with Matthew Modine in 84 where he got into a helicopter crash and the character is supposed to lose its front teeth. So he had his teeth taken out. Oh, my God. <laughs> like That does not actually add to the story, bro. That's too much acting. Yeah, that's just bragging rights at that point. Like, I'm more method than you are, buddy. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what other biopics have you seen? You've seen, you've seen Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I, I really enjoyed Amadeus. Yes, yes. That was, what, that was one you asked me if I'd seen, and I have seen that, enjoyed it. I'm not sure how great a movie it was, but it was entertaining. It was very enjoyable. So as far as the biopic goes, you're like, no, I paid attention and I enjoyed it. Right. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of some other ones. And I can't think of many just because I, I avoid the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that and horror are the genres I usually avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, one, because it's too boring. And the other one, because it's actually too intense. Oh. Uh, 
the the horror films because I live in them completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, that shit will haunt me. You know, if I see a well done horror movie, it stays with me in a way that I don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. as did certain certain parts of Game of Thrones. Yes, trouble me to this day. Even though I enjoyed the show as a whole a great deal and thought it was uh, probably the most ambitious TV show I've ever seen, there were parts of it that I really wish I hadn't watched. <laughs> there are parts that are very, very hard to watch of that. Yeah. So understandable. Um, I think another of the biopic films that people list that are good, you also wind up hearing about Schindler's List. Mm. Have you seen that one? I did. And I haven't thought about it until you just asked me now. Exactly how I feel about it. So when I say good film, I don't want to make make it sound like we're going for something that we want to say is going to win awards. It's a great film. Although I do right. feel like I, Tanya, which was nominated for a bunch of awards, falls into that. But like we're going for a film that sticks out of its genre of biopics in a mm. way that is enjoyable and enjoyable for you as well. Right. Um, Raging Bull was another one that people mentioned. Oh, okay. I didn't know that was a biopic and I haven't seen it. It is a biopic, you know, it's about Jake LaMotta and people pick it as a great exception from the biopic genre because it doesn't focus on his career as a boxer. It doesn't like lift him up as a like, here's this guy. It talks more about his dealing with rage and how it affected his life. And so it's more acting. It's more realistic. It's more flawed. And that's part of the reason why I really like I, Tanya, because it's not exactly the most... Just say flattering version of the story. And what's interesting is okay. Raging Bull also was made under the approval of that person who was working on them. He saw them make the film. And when it was done, he said, you know what? I don't think this is a very flattering version of me, but it's, you know, it's accurate. Mm-hmm. And right. I don't hmm. feel like it's flattering. I feel like it's honest, though, in a way that is very intriguing. Gotcha. Well, it's it's that whole uh, the Orson Scott Card uh, speaker for the dead concept that, mm. OK, when you die, we're going to tell your life story unflinchingly, both good and bad. You know, we're we're not afraid to speak ill of the dead. We're just going to say who you were and what happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, very, uh, very brave concept. And uh, yeah, I think I think that's fine. I don't necessarily need to see a movie that that idolizes its subjects mm-hmm. or that glosses over whatever their flaws might've been, because all these people we hold up as heroes usually have some very obvious personal failings as well, because they're human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I love, I love uh, Winston Churchill because if for as many achievements and incredible quotes, but you know, definitely kind of a jackass as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I can relate, you know, we're, we're all like that. We all have our, heroic moments it makes way more relatable characters it makes more more of a submersible immersible reality hmm. even though this is a real reality it's also you know it's it's been labeled a mockumentary hmm. by some because it is so funny so do also expect that it will be kind of funny and that's part of the reason why I wanted to pick it is I think biopics are very like often sad, Mm. often like, Oh, you know, or like, Hey, they got it back together. This one's kind of just, most of them, first of all, don't even focus on controversy because they're made under the guise of either the person who it's starring or their family members. And it should be very flattering. Right. So it focuses on a controversy. It focuses on a flawed person. It's Mm -hmm. also going to be funny. Now, I've I've realized too. There's another uh, another bridge 
between me and the movie, which is it is a, a sports film in a sense. Uh, and I am a tremendous sports fan. So that may be, uh, and, and that could be both good and bad because if, if sports are done by someone without an understanding of the game, then it will come across as fake. Mm -hmm. But if they do their research and hang out with real athletes, mm -hmm. uh, then it will come across as authentic. So that, that'll be interesting to see as well. Absolutely. Actually, uh, to take a tangent again, I just saw a movie that I thought you would like very much, hmm. also sports related. Have you seen Hustle with Adam Sandler? Uh, no, not yet. It is a basketball movie. Okay. I can't help but think of your song, song about basketball yes. while watching that movie. <laughs> and it stars Adam Sandler, who is not typically considered a great actor and not everybody's favorite guy. I think mm -hmm. he is incredibly endearing in this. And the remainder of the cast is actual basketball players. Awesome. So it's really authentic and really fun. Uh, and I think that you will like it. So I'm also going to side recommend that to you right now. Okay. Okay. Um, but getting back on topic, how much did you know about the actual, how much do you know about the actual events of the Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan controversy? I think I know four things about it. Ooh. I think like total. <laughs> right? I, th I think that, uh, yeah, I think that Tanya was rivals with Nancy Kerrigan and Kerrigan was a little bit better, uh, but they were both very good. Mm -hmm. And I think that Tanya's boyfriend or bodyguard or husband or brother mm -hmm. uh, was was hired to attack Kerrigan and knock her out of the competition. Uh -huh. And I think that it didn't work and she ended up healing up enough to compete and win some sort of medal or award. Okay. I'm not going to correct any of that. I'm just going to let that be. You know, we'll watch the movie okay. and see what happens. Of course, mm -hmm. uh, it was in 1994. So mm. wherever you were in the world in 1994, in January of 1994, that's where oh, you would have heard about what actually happened. Yes. I was, I was busy being nine, so I barely <laughs> remember it. So watching the movie was like, oh, interesting. Right. Well, that actually was the, that was my busiest year of college, actually. I was... Oh. I was in a band, had a girlfriend. I was on the college basketball team <laughs> and, and theoretically also doing music classes to get my degree. So, yeah, I, I didn't know anything that was going on in the world then because I was completely focused on school, girlfriend, friends, rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to focus on any movies that came out the years that you were in college. I don't even remember yeah. television from the years that I was in college, to be completely honest. Oh, we didn't have TV. We had a lounge television with two channels. And then I moved to an on-campus apartment with no TV whatsoever. So I missed, yeah, mm -hmm. I never got into TV until I was an adult with a cable package, you know, 12 years later. <laughs> well, that's kind of good, though, because I found that I'm able to go back now that I have the time and watch some of the best movies from those periods like i can ask people mm. who watched movies then what should i watch even the silly ones like yesterday i watched lilo and stitch which came out in 2002 and i was like okay. right in the height of college college i did not see that movie it mm. is so weird <laughs> <laughs> for a weird. disney animated film to where it's like wait a minute this thing was supposed to destroy planets mm -hmm. <laughs> but he's so cute yep uh going back on topic margot robbie what do you think yes. about her? Have you seen her in Barbie? I have. And I, I I was afraid, and I think we talked about this briefly, I was afraid that I was going to have to see, oh no, sorry, backtracking. There were three movies out that 
Marie and I talked about going to see at the same time. Okay. One was one was the creator with John David Washington. Okay. Uh, that was the one I was excited about because of that whole world building mm-hmm. spectacle thing that I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie, mm-hmm. and we ended up seeing two out of the three. We did not see Oppenheimer. Okay. And that that frankly was the one that I was afraid would be the dullest. And also, I can't stand Christopher Nolan. I've almost never liked anything he did. Ooh, hot take. I know. Yeah, I know. Is <laughs> right, and it's completely personal. I mean, yeah. some of his movies I thought were less good than critics seem to believe like I just mm. didn't think they were that well made mm-hmm. um, but some of them I thought were very well done they just left me feeling depressed ah. that, is, that is not why I go to the movies to get depressed uh, <laughs> I will absolutely agree with you that for me Christopher Nolan is either very very good or very very bad and so mm-hmm. that pisses me off even more because I know that sometimes he can hit it for me and sometimes mm-hmm. it feels like he didn't even try Right. I'm I'm angry that I watched all three of the, the Batman movies because mm-hmm. I hated all three of them. <laughs> um, and yet somehow I ended up getting dragged along to two and three, despite hating number one. And um, I'm still kind of bitter about that. But he redeemed himself a little bit with Dunkirk, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed because I like World War Two stuff because I'm an old man, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> how often do you think of the Roman Empire, right? Rarely. Yeah. Roman Empire movies don't do it for me. So I found that there are two types of of people that either think about the Roman Empire or they're thinking about one of the world wars. Mm hmm. Yep. Uh, Yeah. Well, in fairness, I was like that when I was nine, too, because I was a weird kid. So. Oh, God. You know, I don't think you're allowed to be on my podcast unless you were also labeled a weird kid. Oh, geez. Yeah. We got them all. (laughs) Creative types tend to get that label. Mm hmm. We we earn it honestly. So, what did you think of Margot Robbie in Barbie? Since you did see it, um, what a strange task for an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like we need you to be coming across as completely plastic. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, just a. And I mean, she she did a good job with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just a very. I I, I can't imagine. Uh, what gymnastics you would have to go through mentally, emotionally to play that kind of role after playing a, a quote unquote normal roles in normal movies to suddenly be playing a plastic toy uh, <laughs> is kind of a leap. But I guess that's what you sign up for when you're an actress that you, you don't know what the script is going to bring you. Yeah, I'm I am very astonished by how they managed to take like when I first heard that they were doing a Barbie movie my first thought was like when I heard they were doing a battleship movie where it's just just (laughs) like what could you possibly have to say that I would care about right and for them to land where they landed with what they that's it's astonishing and, Mm -hmm. and and worth celebrating because of that you know oh I agree but it is a real hard acting skill to to do that yes they made a meta movie I guess you would say uh Mm-hmm. That that addressed all the stuff that you would expect them to sweep under the rug and avoid. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just went right for, right for it. Um, yeah, I think. And you know, my my joke was that you know, we're, uh, the uh, the Rice Krispies movie is in development. Uh, <laughs> just straight up products. Like, what's the what's the story or the mythology behind Rice Krispies? I'm sure we could make one up with with skilled enough writers. Although. <laughs> The Minecraft movie is in production. Another thought that I would never have wanted to have a second thought about. But then they keep listing the cast. And it's got uh, 
It's got Jason Momoa. It's got uh, Kate McKinnon. <laughs> it's got uh, God, the guy from Flight of the Concords. What's his uh, name? Not. Uh, what is that guy's name? Uh, Jermaine. Oh, okay. Yep. And like the list just keeps going on, and every day they keep adding more and more really cromulent <laughs> actors to this. Uh, Jack Black is also in it, and you're just like, what? What could the story possibly be? <laughs> So can, can I go out on a limb and say I'm I'm going to assume those are voice actors? You know what I don't. Or is this a, is this a live action film or? <laughs> yeah, or are we going to see animated block characters voiced by Jack Black and Jason Momoa? I mean that seems like it like an easier uh, yeah it's, easier sell. It has to be at least squarified in some way. But you know, given the the success of Barbie, anything anything feels like it could possibly be game. And I wonder, is would you consider Barbie a biopic? Uh, no, no. I, I will not accept no. <laughs> that definition for, for Barbie. <laughs> That's like trying to push a Die Hard into Christmas movie genre. It's a little, it's a little pushing. Right. right. Yeah, Christmas tree was seen, and we saw the date on the calendar. Therefore, yeah, no, no, no. not 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 quite. Although Oppenheimer would be considered a biopic, I did avoid suggesting that because I do, I do feel like you have your feelings about it i haven't watched it either it just seems like mm-hmm. it would be incredibly long and boring and although i love christopher nolan i'm just like christopher nolan biopic jesus i better be able mm-hmm. to watch this at home with like breaks and extra sandwiches right well also i've read a little bit about oppenheimer mm-hmm. and it's not a flattering take that basically he was a a very smart sociopath who had some management skills mm. from a young age but also uh, had attempted to murder somebody before he got the uh, the Manhattan Project. And he 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 was such a such a manipulative, verbose, compelling person to talk to mm-hmm. that he he sold himself to all these top military brass as the only person who could do the job, and they all came away blown away, even though he was like twenty five. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but but meanwhile, you know, kind of left a trail of of mayhem and destruction behind him. <laughs> not a likable guy at all. Yeah, I'd be interested to see if uh, if Nolan tries to polish him up a little bit or if they really, you know, that's the only thing that I'm interested in about the movie is mm-hmm. are they going to portray him as this, you know, like an Elon Musk, Superman, technical genius, or a, a really grimy guy who happened to be super smart? That's a very interesting point to bring up for whenever they do a biopic about something like they did the biopic for Dahmer, where they mm. kind of brushed it up a little bit and, and, and made it entertaining because as they always say, don't let truth get in the way of a good story. Right. But this is this is an amoral character who is our protagonist, um, mm-hmm. kind of our center of the story, but maybe not our protagonist. How do right. you do a bio biopic about them without kind of making them seem great right well you know i think you do it uh, the way they did it with walter white mm-hmm. which is obviously walter white is a terrible person but you introduce some even worse people that are even easier to hate <laughs> a bunch of nazis uh <laughs> a nazi meth gang okay they're even worse than walter and he occasionally does things that are a little bit redeeming so yeah so that's that's part of the trick right you have to pose somebody even worse this feels uh, like American politics. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, man. Yeah. So with this movie, what are you expecting? What what might you be afraid of? What might you be a little excited for? Hmm. Well, I didn't know that uh, 
I didn't know there was as much of a humor component as you're describing. Uh, so that's different. I have no idea who was involved in the production or who is acting in it other than, than Margot Robbie. Nice. Well, you also get, you get Allison Janney too. That's your oh, other okay. main actor. Okay. Uh, who I just saw in the creator. Awesome. And, yeah. 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 And she, she was very good as a, as a hard bitten military officer. I like that role for her. Awesome. Okay. That's good. So I, I know almost nothing about the film. Uh, and I'm assuming because you suggested that it's not four hours long. Oh God. Yeah. You know me. I am for the make films shorter crowd. Actually, I'll confirm mm-hmm. the length of the film right now, especially now that I am trying to run the length of or elliptical the length of one movie every day i am like acutely aware of the length of all different movies Mm -hmm. and sometimes i'll be like wait a minute this kurosawa film is only 10 minutes longer than the princess bride (laughs) wow like is that short for a kurosawa or should the princess bride not have been almost two hours long (laughs) right and we've all uh we've all been to a movie that was short and felt long and vice versa Mm-hmm. Like we, we took the kids to The Incredibles 2, and that was the longest hour and 20 minutes I've ever spent in my life. <laughs> Boy, it was terrible. And for for a kid's movie to drag like that really blew my mind. I don't know if it was just me, but yeah, I was in the theater thinking, oh boy, like what, what do we have? Another 40 minutes? Get me out of here. Oh, God. Oh, wait. I, th- I think I said The Princess Bride. I meant to say Princess Diaries. But, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, the movie is only two hours long, which is short for a biopic by far and short for movies right about mm-hmm. now. Um, it doesn't feel like two hours, but you know, most movies are just really, really bloated. It almost mm-hmm. feels like because movie tickets are going up, they want to make the movies longer, so you feel like you're, you know, like the the price of meals kept getting bigger and the right. portions keep getting weirder. Feels like that might be the case. Right, and I know I I read a take recently about how uh, the studio budgets are so enormous, and movies are so expensive that movies become too big to fail, mm-hmm. and so this leads to more and more different uh, producers and studio execs getting their fingers in the pot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as any creative person knows, that's not a recipe for a unique vision or Mm -mm. uh, a strong story that's, that's interesting or unique. You know, the more people involved in it and the more different mandates the film has, right. It's, it's kind of like being an employee for a big corporation. You're supposed to be amazing at everything, even things that contradict each other. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. You know, a thoughtful leader, but also unquestioned obedient follower. Yes, absolutely. Please, (laughs) please speak your mind, but also don't push the boat. Don't rock the boat. It's, (laughs) it's always a sign for me when a movie has, let's say more than three writers or more than three cycles of writers that I'm scared. Mm -hmm. I'm really scared, you know? And I'm also always afraid when a production, when a film has been shelved for a while and then brought back out and and put out, Right. that always gives me pause. You never know like what happened here. It's probably edited very badly. Right. Well, there's a thing that happens in the music business where a record label will produce multiple albums, but only promote one of them and and leave some of the albums unpromoted. And they do this because they want their marketing dollars to go as far as possible. And they want the artists they're promoting to be really hip at that moment. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, musicians will find when they're dealing with a label that there's nothing in the contract that says the label has to promote their work. (laughs) Uh, it says they have to help make a record, 
But once the record is made, sometimes it sits and the label may decide, well, this sound, you know, was passe two months ago, so we're not going to do anything with this. And, you know, they'd rather just uh, sink their costs and walk away without spending more money. And uh, I suspect stuff like that happens with the studios, too. Of course. Well, sometimes people will buy a script because another script is in production that's too similar and they just want to snuff it. So they're literally buying it to snuff it. It's never going to get made. It's never going to see the light of day. Although maybe in like 10 years, they'll find it and be like, you know what? Let's just call this the sequel to that other one, which is what happened to the Saw franchise. Oh, catch and kill, right? That's what they call that. Just uh, make make sure nobody else gets to make the story. Yeah. That's like, I want to date you just so no one else can date you. (laughs) That's sociopathic. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's that's business as well. I mean, these corporations Mm -hmm. are mandated to max out shareholder profit. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they'll do whatever they have to. They have no choice. And I think that's really what's at the heart of why so many biopics are so bad hmm. is because they're often cash grabs by the studio to get their prerequisite awards that season to seem relevant. Oh. Like, I'll make this you no, know, I'll make this biopic about Priscilla this way. It'll be sad and people will care about it. The hmm. costumes will be really good, so we'll get a costume nomination. Hmm. Everybody likes Elvis, so you know, we'll get <laughs> people into buying more Elvis albums while this is out. Like it hmm. never really feels like it's about, hey, we have a really great story to tell about a person you don't know mm-hmm. or maybe a way you didn't know this person. It always just feels like, Oh damn, we need to get an Oscar this year. So hmm. what are we gonna do in the biopic field? So are you a- are you familiar with the concept of a halo car? No. So in the in the car industry, a manufacturer will make a super awesome sports car mm-hmm. uh, with radical styling, you know, something really iconic, hopefully. Yeah. And, and sell not that many of them because they're expensive and most people can't, you know, have a two-seat vehicle as their daily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but they do this, even if they lose money, they do it to increase the status of their brand. Oh. To make people think, wow, you know, Chevy makes the Corvette. That must be an awesome brand. I'm not going to buy a Corvette, but <laughs> so I could. It's out there, you know. So it makes the uh, it makes the boring third string SUV look sexier because it's a uh, it's big brother is a Corvette. Yeah, it's like a prestige film that totally makes sense. Oh my god, it's amazing how the industries are barely different from one another when you start to look at it. Hmm. Marketing, uh, psyop. <laughs> propaganda, all that stuff. It's just what word you use. Right. And yet, amazingly, some amazing art comes out of record labels and movie studios, some, and even, yeah. even TV studios. It's amazing. It is amazing that anything good does get made when this kind of overall control of both of these industries exists. And that's mm-hmm. kind of why when you find a movie like this, kind of like I, Tanya, you get so excited because you're like, wow, this is a little weird and different and fun and, and it breaks the conventions. Okay. Well, I, you, you, you sold me on not dreading it. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So that's what this part one is about, getting the the guest to at least not dread the movie they're about to watch for me. And of course, mission if you, accomplished. <laughs> if you don't like it, like there's no prerequisite. I might lose. I have lost. There, Scott mm-hmm. did not wind up liking, so I married an axe murderer. <laughs> he did like the movie. He said if we could edit it so that there was none of Mike Myers in it, he would have liked the movie. So that's mm. almost a win. But wow, <laughs> just do trying the movie at all is a win for me. And I'm really excited for when we come back and we will hear about how you felt about the film. Love it. All right. <laughs> 
Well, guys, we'll see you on the other side. Welcome back. What you guys just heard was another one of the new songs off of Jesse's up and coming album, which, uh, you know, will be out at the time of this release on the first or not. Uh, it looks like we're doing uh, uh, February 1st. Yeah, awesome. I, kinda, I think we cleared the last hurdles for that today. So we're good to go. Wonderful. That is that is really great. Yes. Uh, I was watching I, Tanya today and I didn't realize how much soundtrack was a part of this movie I, I had it on with the subtitles and i've never experienced this but it subtitled the soundtrack because that's how important it was for some of the scenes i mean usually it'll say like music playing or it'll give you a little bit but it kept cutting back in with the lyrics of the song uh because mm -hmm. they were so important and i was wondering like how did, as a musician how'd that go for you it's interesting because i just watched forrest gump oh yeah for oh, some God. reason i, I I don't know why. I think it was because my wife had never seen it, and it just happened to be. It was one of those terrible weather days where we were just both home and uh -huh. weren't working, and and we just ended up watching Forrest Gump, and that was one of her weird, uh, weird missing famous movies, and uh, it I just recalled how the soundtrack is just a continuous stream uh -huh. uh, of '60s and early '70s hits, and. Uh, to the point where it's it's almost like are they even missing any? Is this like the entire pop chart for for twenty years of of American history? And I know that was the point, mm -hmm. and that was the same vibe I got with I Tanya, mm -hmm. and I couldn't stop thinking about it. So it became a little bit intrusive for me. Ah, uh, okay. Like oh, they're gonna hit us with another seventies hit, okay, or, or early eighties in this case, mm -hmm. uh, slightly later era, but they they really Forrest Gumped it the whole way, and. I thought it was a little bit too much, although okay. I appreciated one particular music cue, which which I, I'm sure we'll get to in a minute. But uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The soundtrack for Forrest Gump is an incredible point in movie history in that it was mm -hmm. a kind of like a backwards soundtrack. Normally, when you do a soundtrack, mm -hmm. you put in whatever film music that you can, and you have to get licensing, and you know it's a very expensive thing. Right. Um, and you can imagine how expensive the licensing for the soundtrack to Forrest Gump was Ooh. because it was a yeah. veritable who's who, right? Yep. They were told to tone it down. They were told, like, no way. And they were like, no, this is the movie. This is the music. This is how we're doing it. So uh, they kind of filmed with those songs in mind, knowing that it would be a real fight. Uh, I do agree that at points in this movie the soundtrack felt a little bit like in case you don't know what to feel in this scene um, I didn't yeah. put them together as so linear whereas in Forrest Gump it's kind of a little bit like in case you don't know what decade it is right now here you go um, but you know this <laughs> jumping ahead and we won't totally do this chronologically the the point where they can catch the guy who Hit, actually hit Nancy Kerrigan and Gloria. Yeah. We they got your number plays that like that exact line plays as they catch him. It's like okay, okay, cute. Gotcha. I can't believe I missed that, but yeah, that's that's a good point. There was a lot of a lot of that. I I mean, I think the one you're going to talk about is the Fleetwood Mac one, right? Uh, no, good guess. Oh, uh, 
the the music drop that got me was uh, "Sleeping Bag" by ZZ Top. <laughs> and, and I need I need some historical context on this. Did Tanya Harding do a figure skating routine to "Sleeping Bag" by ZZ Top? I need to know. Yes, yes, she did. Actually, wow. that is true. That is part of the reason why they, she had so much issue is that she was she was trying to be true to herself in an endeavor where you are artistically judged and i always feel like you know that is that is really hard i mean as a musician you know can you imagine if music was like literally competitive in that way where like Mm -hmm. somebody gave you i guess this it is because people give you rolling stones gives your album a rating right sure and and most of us grew up doing some sort of a recital scene mm-hmm. uh, in school music or in private lessons in, in New York State. It was the NISMA piano competition. Oh. And my particular teacher, you know, back when I took actual formal lessons, my teacher sent all of her kids to the NISMA solo competition every year, and which I, I guess my parents probably had to pay for. So there, there's, the, uh, there's the class thing coming into play. Mm-hmm. And she said, all of my kids get an excellent in the Nisma solo. And she said it, it was, it was both a promise and a threat. Mm. <laughs> and I too got an excellent in the Nisma solo. And, and it is high pressure. They, uh, they grade you on the pieces you play, and then they throw some stuff at you that you've never seen before and have you play it on the spot. Ooh, oh, wow. That does sound hard. C- serious pressure for a 12-year-old. That is crazy. I grew up in New York, but I didn't grow up in any kind of level of, of music, so I, I have not heard of that. And that that does give me the sweats, though. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think it's so difficult. Anytime I, like, I'll watch Project Runway and I'll just get mad at the fact that they're trying to judge the Jesses. And I'm like, no, I liked that. And they're like, it's garbage. I was like, well, does it matter? Because I like that. Right. And that's kind of what that, that scene feels like. It's it's great. It's it's refreshing to get to see a figure skater perform to a non-classical piece mm-hmm. or a piece that's so incredibly weird. Yeah. But, you know, it's definitely not going to win you any favors. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. I, I, I came to this as a fencer, hmm. as someone who's competed in fencing, and that is a very... It's expensive. Like, figure skating is very expensive. There's a threshold in which you right. have to have the gear to compete. It is elitist, you know, it's only usually at schools that are a little bit more expensive. Although I was in a public school and we were definitely using wicked old gear and whatever we could get. Yeah. So there's little bad news bears about it. As, as an athlete, how do you come to the sports in this particular one? Because we said we were excited to watch a sports movie. Right. And, and you know, my sport was basketball. So the exact opposite of that, mm-hmm. uh, a sport that can be played by any kid with a pair of sneakers in any city mm-hmm. park in America. On a, on a bent rim with no net on it, you could still play. And in, in places in the world where they don't even have that, they, they nail a milk crate to the wall and, and, and play with a, a sack of fabric or something. And uh, yeah, and, and yet, you know, I've been around enough snobs <laughs> in different area, areas of life that, and, and that's where the movie got me. Mm. Uh, that's kind of a thing that I have that I really. I really have a hard time when people think they're better than other people. Mm-hmm. And I have a hard time letting that go. There's just something about it that really gets me. And so that part of the movie grabbed me right away. Mm-hmm. And where, where it grabbed me was with Alice and Janney smoking at the ice skating rink and telling everyone else to fuck off. And that, that's when you're rooting for her character and don't realize what, it, what a 
a, a selfish douche she's actually going to be later in the movie mm -hmm. uh but that you know my ears perked up when i got to that point like mm, all right class class uh struggles and and uh dealing with snobs and yeah people that don't think you're good enough to be there oh bring it on <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's impressive how and we were talking about this in the previous piece that biopics often talk about how it's luck it's not about talent it's not about hard work and yet here you have this like this poor person who is who's getting snobbed on who's getting turned down on and she's gonna just work hard enough to break through that that's what we want to right. hear which is hilarious because we know how this story ends right right and yet i'm still instantly like i want to root for alice and jenny i want to root for these mm -hmm. characters that are not the greatest people right and at, at the end we have tanya who is basically tying the whole thing together with a neat little bow and saying see it, you know it was because i was poor and came from the wrong side of the tracks but not really confessing her role in this whole mess. She definitely had a role, at least as portrayed here. She was she was a bit shady. She was willing to do some stuff. She just wasn't excited about doing that particular stuff, at least according to her account. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So in the end, we do have some people that are tough to root for. Yes. And even the people that we're laughing at earlier in the story are also tough to root for by the end. A hundred percent. And and that brings me to the music cue that I thought you were going to talk about, which is when Tanya mm. does give up uh, Jeff to the FBI. Right. And, and the song The Chain by Fleetwood Mac plays. Mm -hmm. Which, right. are you familiar with Fleetwood Mac? Are you familiar with the song? I feel like you probably oh, are. Oh, of course. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, iconic, iconic songwriting and production iconic vocals mm -hmm. yeah i think anyone who's a who's a music fan in the pop rock area kind of has to take their hat off to, to fleetwood mac <laughs> and especially to choose in that exact moment that particular band because i i was showing scott a hilarious sweatshirt that says it's such a specific sweatshirt. That's why I had to send it to him. <laughs> Sorry, I can't talk. I'm thinking about the 1997 performance of Silver Springs where Stevie Nicks stares a hole through Lindsey Buckingham. Oh, wow. <laughs> so specific. I mean, this isn't Silver Springs. This is The Chain. But uh, this song is particularly well known for like marking a point in time where the band started to to like break apart as people. Right. And that's exactly what's happening to Tanya and Jeff. In that relationship, uh, like, um, well, what's the line in particular? Damn your love, damn your lies. Mm -hmm. Like, it it feels like, and you know, this that again, I'm not, I walk that razor's edge of like, is this just telling me what I, I should be interpreting by watching a simple story, or is this heightening it? I don't know with that kind of music soundtrack. Right. And, you know, and, and a good pick there with Fleetwood Mac, who also had iconic band drama. Mm hmm. Yeah, very, very classic, you know, almost spinal tap esque. Le level of interpersonal drama in the band and creative tension and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we're kind of beating a little bit around this. There's always with every movie stuff you're going to like and stuff you're not going to like. Mm -hmm. But overall, how are you feeling about this movie? Uh, I, I'm giving it a three out of five. I'm, I'm, I liked it overall. Glad I watched it. Mm -hmm. Some issues with it, but ultimately, mm -hmm. ultimately good job movie. Okay. Yeah. I always like to start out with the vegetables first. Let's yeah. talk about what you didn't like, and then we'll talk about what you did like. Yeah. Well, the uh, I already told you about the, the somewhat intrusive music cues. 
which I, yeah. I get what you're saying, but for me, it made, made it a little more difficult for me to focus on the, the story. Oh, yeah. Especially as a musician where you're like really hearing the soundtrack. Right. And, you know, where I don't think there was a, a blessed song on there that I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, I'm sure that was, you know, that they weren't going for obscure. They, they, were, they were in your face. Yeah. One thing about it, maybe this was unavoidable. But at the beginning of the movie, the uh, the humor was keeping me going. Yes. And that pretty much ended by the third act. There wasn't really anything funny that happened in the last half hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a lot darker. And the, the stuff that could have been funny became sad. Yes. I think that this film is an indictment. It is. It mm-hmm. is kind of an accusation of the viewer almost. Right. And, and the, uh, you know, the 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 ham fisted goons that had no idea what they were doing and couldn't get out of their own way. Described as the the stupidest in a group of boobs. It's a yes. very good line from Bobby Carnavale, who I love in everything yes. and is good in this. Yeah, no, he, he's he's dynamite. Uh, yeah, he can he can do funny. He can do menacing. Mm-hmm. Uh, loved him in Mr. Robot. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the, a show that is the exact opposite of this movie in every way. Yes. Yeah, and so like I... Part of the reason why I picked this one as a biopic for us to watch it was because it's got humor in it. And Amadeus is another one that I was thinking mm-hmm. of, but you'd already seen. And I love the little bit of humor because you need that humor to kind of get you going. It is right. it is a mockumentary. When we think of mockumentary, we think of like completely false. These events didn't happen at all. But it's mm-hmm. the style of like they've put these interviews together. There's a constant breaking of the fourth wall. There's so many scenes in the beginning where they're like, this isn't how it happened. Or I never did that. Like <laughs> right. It's funny, right? Yes. Yeah. So that, that was good at the end. I'm trying to think of, okay. The, the character, uh, who is the, who, who is Jeff's buddy who believes he's an international super spy? His name is Paul Walter Hauser. That's the guy from Blackbird. He's a very good actor, and he often gets played in these, like, I almost want to say mentally kind of held back roles, uh-huh. you know, grandiose roles. Uh, he was right. I was surprised he did not get a nomination or any kind of notice for his performance yep. as, as, as Sean. I think he did great, and uh, it to me it called back, and I almost would wonder if he studied this, mm-hmm. uh, John Goodman's role in uh, Coen Brothers, Big Lebowski. Think, yeah, It does remind me of that character a lot. You're, you're very much, yeah, that's right. very accurate. I think a lot of what was used was the actual footage, which is even mm-hmm. more upsetting. So, like, he's, he's just portraying an actual human being who believed this shit. Oh, yeah, and, and talks to everybody with a with a totally unearned level of pretension mm-hmm. uh, you know he talks to everyone like like he's a school teacher explaining uh, something to his stupidest class mm-hmm. <laughs> but with with no background to back it up and refuses to ever get off that pedestal even with overwhelming evidence confronting him yes and and i think that's what is interesting about this story is it doesn't really entirely serve anyone. Mm-hmm. Like no one ever fully apologizes with the exception of Jeff's character who says mm-hmm. what I did ruined her career and ruined her life. Yes. He doesn't mention what it did to Nancy Kerrigan. Right. Nor does he say he's entirely sorry, but he does admit that he has fault in this. Mm-hmm. And and that's what's so strange for me is in watching this biopic, it was like not 
really nice. Mm-hmm. Not really nice to the viewer either at the end when they talk about how we want to just consume this. I mean, it was interesting to realize that CBS was both in charge of part of the news and part of the Olympics. And so like it really behooved them for this controversy to keep going and for them mm. to let her be on the Olympic team, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it was interesting, you know, a lot of times in what's uh, what's a major hook for me in movies is if they mm-hmm. take me inside a world I'm not personally familiar with mm-hmm. and, I, and, I, and I learn how things work. Uh, like a good example, even though it's completely made up, would be the uh, the prison scenes in Andor, mm-hmm. which I thought were amazing. And I actually watched it with someone who had been in prison and he couldn't stay in the room. Oh, yeah. They were they were so realistic that, uh, yeah, that this guy had to just excuse himself because he was having flashbacks. It was too much. Mm-hmm. And they got, the, they got the vibe and the mechanics of it so right. And it, it felt like... Yeah, like, okay, this is an actual place mm-hmm. that really could be run this way. And there are places like this in the world that, that are a lot like this. Yeah, we didn't get much of that level of grit or realism. We did get a lot of the, the vibe of comp- competitive figure skating, but we didn't get a lot of technical detail. And I felt like that was okay for this story. Yeah, I feel like we were supposed to get the grit of what it's like to be so poor. Yes, you know, like there were scenes yeah, where sure. she was eating cereal out of mixing bowls, just very subtle mm-hmm. things that you wouldn't really think about. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to get demerits on this because you made your own costume. You should be given extra credit for making your own costume. <laughs> yes. This is a weird, weird world for me. But again, that's a, a problem with biopics for both of us is that like mm-hmm. it's hard to get lost in a world that is your world. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh yeah, and you know, one thing they did a good job about well, the costume design, I guess, mm-hmm. and, and like vehicles and mm-hmm. all this stuff that that did take me back to upstate New York in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. So when what what year was the Olympics in question? Nineteen ninety four. Okay, so that's perfect. Yeah. So late seventies and eighties was when these characters grew up, same as me, and uh, it, that played even though even though they weren't from where I was from the hairstyles and the clothes. Yeah. And they managed to make Margot Robbie extremely unglamorous (laughs) through pretty much the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely got all that stuff right. It's very strange that it was in 1994 because they they say this in the movie as well. It's the the point in time in which they shifted uh, the Olympics. So it, it happened in 92. Right. And then for the first time ever, it happens again only two years later, which means that she's still technically young enough to to have even a shot. Right. It's so weird how like it only only succeeds because it happens at this point in time. Yeah, and I, I also think you know that's something that I can relate to uh, as a sports fan because these people have such short careers, mm-hmm. and some of them are lifted up out of poverty and make a great deal of money, and then they're out. You know, by the time they're 28, sometimes mm-hmm. or or less, football players especially, they make a tremendous handful of paychecks, and their career could only be two years long. Mm-hmm. You know, at least with football players, and this is a good thing that they have to graduate college to be drafted by a pro team. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so with pro basketball players; they can play one year of college or fewer, especially if they're from overseas, and be right into a pro contract at 19. And some of them are, 
you know, are ruined psychologically by that first year in the game and they're never right again, you know, at least, at least as athletes. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was really, really taken by the idea that like, yes, I constantly hear these stories about people lifted from poverty mm-hmm. by their ability to play a sport and engage on a, like a national sports team or an Olympic sports team. But this story seemed to really point at how that's just mm-hmm. a folktale for us to believe in, to keep us appeased, and how it's really almost impossible, the amount of people you have to pay. I mean, your parents have to be able to have the free time. Right. The cost of yep. time is not always calculated into this thing. And how like you can have all the talent in the goddamn world, but if you weren't mm-hmm. born right, like, bless your heart. And I mean, this also doesn't even take into consideration the like, if you were a black mm-hmm. woman trying to be a figure skater in the 90s, I'm sure it was also shit, regardless of how much money you had. Right. Yeah. Or talk about like a literally shut door in that case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that stuff, I think people don't realize enough, that stuff is still in effect. Yes. You know, things like old boy networks and bars to admission mission based on race, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I read this unbelievable, it was, it was a, a sports book mm-hmm. about uh, Terry Francona, who used to manage the Red Sox. And when he was coaching in the minor leagues, Michael Jordan was one of his players during Jordan's brief baseball career. Oh, wow. And so, and Francona talks about, they're playing this, you know, this Southeastern minor league, and they're traveling around on buses, you know, Michael Jordan, worldwide superstars traveling around on buses with these other mm-hmm. much younger minor league dudes who, who don't have two nickels to rub together. <laughs> and he said one day they were in somewhere like Greenville, South Carolina, I think. And uh, Jordan wanted to get a decent meal because the rest of them were just eating at hot dog stands and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the only people in the room who had enough money to go to an actual lunch mm-hmm. were Jordan and Francona, his manager who managed the team. So they go to this the nearest restaurant, which happens to be at this country club, and the other white patrons in the club get up and leave. You know, they sit down because they because Michael Jordan's sitting there. God bless <laughs> you, stupid idiots. The, the, the biggest star in his sport, and they, they hear these guys muttering, and then they all get up and escort themselves out. Wow. And that, that would have happened in, uh, you know, early 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so pe- people don't know, mm-hmm. and the, the myth is out there that this these things have already been litigated and solved. But Mm-mm. yeah, class, class, and race in America, whew, huge deal. Yeah, and the idea that we, you know, we want to tell these stories, but we want to tell them with specific versions that are good. Like we'll we'll handpick the person we're going to have people believe we, you know got got themselves out of poverty by lifting up their mm-hmm. own bootstraps it's uh it really speaks to this this just kind of insane frustration like if this movie could be a punctuation i feel like this movie would be the interrobang mm-hmm. the question mark followed by an exclamation point which just uh, it, which you know right exemplifies incredulity <laughs> like time and time again you're watching this and you're like wait did this really happen this way? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't believe how much violence right. happened to her in her own life. Yeah. That never really, like, okay, so you can say it's a he said, she said, but there's going to be cop records. There's going to be restraining orders that were put on file for real reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, at one point in the movie, he shoots her with a gun but misses and gets away with it. Right. Just grazed her. Yeah, if he if he had uh, if he'd been slightly more accurate, he would have shot her in the head. Yes, yes. If if that if that account is to be believed, but mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, that's never a difficult story to believe. Mm-hmm. 
this this you know lower lower income woman was being abused by her husband not hard to believe if she came forward uh, almost everyone would say yeah that could happen mm-hmm. it's i just thought of a weird juxtaposition with this movie mm-hmm. that this movie is sort of the opposite of although i think it's it's fictional match point the woody allen film oh god with owen wilson and scarlett johansson correct and i, I can't remember the name of the anti-hero protagonist but he yeah yeah uh, is a poor kid who comes up through his tennis skills and then ends up just being this machiavellian manipulator who once he's in the the circle of the wealthy people just finds his way to get everything he wants by being a completely amoral bastard Oof. and uh and and by thinking a step ahead of the other people around him and uh that you know that was not tanya harding no no but you know in our memories of what happened like they they say in the movie some people remember the events as with tanya actually being the one who hit nancy Oh, that's so interesting. I, you know, I was young when it happened. You were younger. I think you were in college when it happened. I remember the footage of her standing there, sitting there and screaming at her her leg that she'd been hit and screaming, why me and why me? But I remembered it being bloody. It wasn't. It was just one hit to the knee and that's it. And I forgot that she even recovered right. and still skated in the 94. Like, I forgot all right. of that. <laughs> what did you remember? Uh, I remembered... That she had been hit. I think I, I think I said to you that it was Nancy. It was uh, Tanya's boyfriend, mm-hmm. husband, or mm-hmm. bodyguard. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure which one it was, and sort of a combination of all three. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I remembered her being hit, and I remembered that she came back to skate. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't remember whether Tanya got to skate or not, mm-hmm. and I did not remember the uh, you know the medal results or anything like that. Uh, but. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that Nancy was able to to get back to to competition. Yes, I did remember that she had the like shoelace thing break because that was also a big. She was on. They were covering mm. her so so much. I mean, in in the end, she says she became a punchline, which was very very true. She became a huge punchline, right? And I think that the only reason it stopped to be so much of a coverage on her. And they say this in the movie as well, which I completely forgot right. is that it happens just before OJ Simpson kills Nicole Brown Simpson. Wow. Yeah. Allegedly. Well, I guess that, you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> right. Right. No, 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 no. Yeah. Before that became the biggest story on the planet for about six months. Yes, because these both happened at the birth of the 24-hour news cycle. Mm. Prior to these, we didn't have that. So it creates this just, you know, the Olympics have to be pushed forward an extra two years. Mm -hmm. There has to be the birth of the the 24-hour news cycle. Like, there's so, this really does happen in a vacuum where it's, for lack of a better term, a perfect storm that totally fucks poor Tanya Harding. Yes. And we kind of just consume her soul, like the American people. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, another thing I liked about uh, something that I really I, we haven't said a lot about Margot Robbie's performance, mm-hmm. but I, I'd love to get there. Let's do it. Yeah. So one thing, at some point, a character says uh, she skates better when she's pissed off, or something to that effect. And this is boy, that is a real thing in sports. Yeah. Not just as a motivator, but as a performance enhancer. Mm-hmm. There are athletes who perform better when they're mad. Mm-hmm. And and this is and because basketball, you know, shit talking is such a huge part of the game mm-hmm. and it can intimidate an, an opponent, but it can also elevate them. Mm-hmm. And you have to be careful 
to, you know, who you say what to, because there are times when, yeah, if you piss off the wrong person, that player will have it in for you going forward and will play better as a result. Mm-hmm. Whereas other people, they might not be intimidated, but they're so angry that they lose their composure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are players who make a specialty of knowing who they can goad and who they can talk crap to and what they can say to certain people to destabilize them and then just cause chaos. And then there are other people who fuck around and find out and say the wrong <laughs> thing to the wrong guy. And then they get completely shown up in front of millions of people. Yes. <laughs> this is a huge and, part of the movie Hustle as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, so Margot Robbie nails the, there's a face. She does, she does the face of, okay, I'm pissed off and I'm going to skate really well now. Yes. And you can see the moment. She kind of looks down and then she looks up mm-hmm. and you can see that, that that killer instinct is there. Yes. Oh, yeah. And then towards the end, I think the last time we see that face, there's like a hint of doubt in it at the actual Olympics. Mm-hmm. Like just for a moment, she thinks, oh, shit, this is the real deal. You know, mm-hmm. this is this is everything that, that, uh, that I've been leading up to and preparing for right here, right now. And then she kind of tucks that in her back pocket and goes out there and performs. Yeah, she did a good job of, of uh, yeah, striking that chord that a lot of real athletes have to have to get to. Absolutely. In fencing, it's a really, they call it optimal level of arousal. Hmm. Zbigniew, the saber fencer, talks about how, like, you have to be excited enough to care to win, but not so excited that you cost yourself the victory. Right. And, and you know, the the... Getting Margot Robbie's face onto the figure skater mm-hmm. for this movie, for the re- emotional result that you just talked about, yeah. was not a short, no, it's not a small task. I mean, she did learn how to skate and did a lot of the skating herself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and because it, you know, it's a little bit of an older movie, it doesn't age particularly well. And you can see where the mocap on her face is. But at the time, it felt a lot, felt a lot better for me. But they intentionally were like, we've got to use Margot's face for the skating scenes because hmm. of her ability as an actress to really portray these subtle subtle things oh sure yeah i love when i find out that an actor had to learn a completely new skill to play a certain role oh yeah i i love the idea that uh, that val kilmer and robert de niro were running around with machine guns Mm -hmm. for for weeks to to get ready to shoot heat uh, which had some of the best uh shootout scenes in in movie history and you completely buy it yeah um and it's like it's val kilmer he doesn't know how to shoot people but boy he (laughs) He sure seemed like he did. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I love that movie. I, I often uh, get mad at myself because that's Michael Mann, and I'll accidentally say that uh, um, Michael Bay directed Heat, and I'll be oh, like, right. no, he did it. <laughs> totally, totally different. <laughs> Before I forget, the figure skaters who were the bodies for the triple, uh, which you know, the, which was that amazing. She was the first woman in history to be able to do that. Uh, were yeah. Anna Malkova and Heidi Munger. Wow! So I want to make sure we say their names because they did a not small feat as well. Oh so yeah! Going back to Margot's performance, she is nominated for an Oscar for this role. Also nominated for a SAG. That's how I found out it came in the mail as part of the SAG screeners. And I was just floored because mm-hmm. I hadn't even heard of it. She doesn't win. Uh-huh. The Oscar nominations just came out yesterday. Both her and Greta Gerwig have been 
left off. They did not get nominated. Right. She didn't get nominated for Best uh, Performer in Barbie. And people are really surprised. And it's almost like the Academy is mad at her in the same sort of way the U.S. Skating Federation is mad at Tanya Harding. Like, uh, you're too weird. You're too loud. Sit down. We don't award right. shit to this. Right. Well, yeah. Talk about uh, a hoary establishment that's mm-hmm. been around for decades and it makes a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a <laughs> that uh, meta uh, life imitating art, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but Margot yeah. Robbie, I mean, it's I don't think that she has much in common with this character as a human being. Mm hmm. But that certainly did not show. She lived in the performance. It was not overacted. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that she she I would have been happy to see her win something for that because it was a, obviously a ton of work, and I think she really stuck it. Mm-hmm. Well, you will be happy to know that the only Oscar this did win was for Allison Jenny's performance. Oh, she was fantastic. She was fantastic. Yeah, and and I will say emotionally, when it turns out that she's got the the wire in her back pocket when she comes over to Tanya's place, that was a total gut punch. Yeah, because she's someone you really want to like, but she's just such a jerk. And and they set they set us up, I think, emotionally to want mm-hmm. to like her, and mm-hmm. then snatch it away <laughs> at the last minute. Yes. Well, yeah. as a as a you're a dad. How do you mm-hmm. feel about that portrayal of the tiger parent who is like, you know, I had to push you or else you wouldn't be great. Right. And I think that, yeah, Janie's character, in fact, did put in a lot more work than probably the parents around her because of this unbelievably demanding program that her daughter was in. She had to do all the normal stuff that you don't get credit for, like working and paying the bills and feeding the kid and put clothes on him. But she also did all of this extra work and had such a huge ego about that and a huge ego attached to her daughter's success, you know, while never, as portrayed, never giving her any of the emotional support or, or loving kindness that you're supposed to give. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, tiger parent perhaps, but uh, a dysfunctional parent <laughs> as well mm-hmm. and and one who never achieves any insight about that whatsoever. No, I don't think anyone in this film, again, with the exception of Jeff, just a little bit, uh, achieves much insight. I think we wind up with Tanya kind of as a victim at the end, despite seeing many times in which she fought back, she tried, she was stronger than most. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of the characters have some redeeming qualities, Mm -hmm. but yes, insight is in short supply. And for me, that also tracks like people who do things a certain way and have a certain set of beliefs for many years. Can they change? Sure, but it's rare. And, and that's mm-hmm. real. And that felt better than most biopics where everybody's just awesome and great. And it was just mm-hmm. a matter of getting this talented person in front of the right people. And everyone mm-hmm. always loved them, except for that one time when they had that little bit of drug problem. But now they're better. Right. You know, that kind of story. I, I don't feel like the Nancy Kerrigan version of this story would be an interesting movie for me. Do you? Uh, no, probably not as much. Yeah. And, and she was she was more of the movement, uh, you know, of major figure skating stars than Tanya. She was not an outsider. Mm-hmm. She was, I think, supposed to be there from, from the get-go. And I know a lot of these people are on that track when they're three years old. Yeah. 
I mean, Nancy, yeah. Tanya Harding won her first competition at four, which yeah. is a really interesting question. And again, as a parent, you can answer this. Do mm. you feel like kids can consent to such a lifelong commitment at, at that age? Are you letting them find out who they are or are you possibly maybe giving them something they're too old? They're not yet old enough for. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, this is, uh, this is, uh, it calls to mind a lot of other movies that involve sports or competition. Mm -hmm. Uh, but also a, a guy I know who was on a, a pro tennis track, uh, who I went to college with and he, was from a, a rich, high achieving family. But as he describes it, he was the one who wanted to be a tennis pro mm -hmm. and he was the one that pushed himself and his family supported that. And then one day when he was, and he, I think he was nationally ranked as a 12 year old wow. for what, for that age group. He was one of the best in the country for his age and gender when he was in middle school and was out there running suicides on the, the hot asphalt tennis court in high summer until he threw up and he had a moment and he said, I'm 12 years old. What the hell am I doing with my life? <laughs> and he stopped and he quit playing tennis <gasps> and, and, and became a, 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 a funk guitarist <gasps> in a hippie band. That's great. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. That is, I'm glad that his parents also allowed for that as well. That right. sounds like a pretty healthy situation to be coming out of. Yeah, he was driving the train the whole time. And, and that mm -hmm. does happen. Like There are kids who are mm -hmm. incredibly driven. But most kids I know, and you know, most kids I've had, you're like, for God's sake, let's get them to try a bunch of stuff and just hope they're interested in something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're, yeah, you're just you're just hoping and praying that they catch on to some kind of activity that will Boy, that will give them all the stuff that like playing basketball or playing music has given me. Yeah. You know, all those all those life lessons, you know, back in the 1800s, you'd probably become an apprentice to someone to learn all this stuff. But these days it's our extracurriculars. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we get well, it. Well, it's such an interesting yeah. line to walk to be like, well, I want to make sure that my kid gets to express themselves and be in their body and try things I like. And mm -hmm. also kids kind of need a little bit of prodding because inertia is the easiest thing. Like it's very easy to not do anything. Right. So I remember being a kid, my mom, my mom was a gymnast growing up, very hmm. good at it. Ah. Did not want my sister and I to do gymnastics because she said the experience was not great. It was really intense. It was too competitive. Yep. It was not great for your body image, all of those things. So we were like, not allowed to instead of being like discouraged or maybe i won't bring like we weren't allowed to right and then i find circus in my mid-20s and i'm just like <laughs> i really dig this i wonder why <laughs> so it wound up kind of backfiring it's like as a parent you can try really hard and still wind up you know messing up so it's really easy to relate to the alice and jenny character even though she is kind of monster <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah for sure and uh yeah, and, and this is always the thing, right, is that where is your ego coming into play mm -hmm. in stuff like this? And you hear about all the, uh, you know, parents who throw uh, a complete shit fit at the hockey arena or a little league field mm -hmm. uh, over a referee's call, you know, getting a fight with a coach about how they're coaching their kid, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, where does your advocacy for your child end and where does your ego begin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To what extent is this about how it reflects on you? Yeah. 
And it, and it, it, yeah, it should almost never be that, Yeah, but it often is. Exactly. <laughs> and it's so hard for people like Tanya who are truly gifted at something, who have a chance and have a shot because there's so many people right. around her whose egos are so frail because of the poverty that they're put in, because of the lack of opportunities just given to people in their, in their economic bracket. Mm -hmm. Everybody tries to kind of catch her coattails or take a piece of her or keep her in check so that she doesn't think that she's better than them when categorically she is better than so much. She is an Olympic yeah. athlete. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's good. You know, I've been, I feel very fortunate that I, I was never a world-class athlete. I was an above average athlete mm -hmm. um, who had the privilege of being near some world-class athletes. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I played with guys who, who started for division one college teams. I played with guys who tried out for professional teams, either, you know, North America or, or overseas. And mm -hmm. I saw that these guys that could jump over me <laughs> and, and could pick me up with one hand <laughs> and were not good enough to crack one of the major pro leagues. And they appeared to have everything. Wow. And I thought, wow, you know, and I would tell my friends, oh, you know, Michael Brown, you're going to hear his name. Nope. <laughs> Who the hell is Michael Brown? <laughs> mm hmm. And, uh, and, you know, they were, they were the, they were the 1%, the but they weren't the 1% of the 1%. Exactly. And, and IOPICs often tell us that you, you can, if you're that guy, you, that guy just didn't try hard enough, right? Right. Yeah. Well, that, there's so many things that go into it. You know, the, the sports people always use the term makeup. What, what is this person's emotional makeup? Do they have what it takes to respond to the immense pressure that they're going to be under? And all the various temptations and distractions that are going to come into play. Uh, and the fact that not everybody is your friend. You know, there's, mm -hmm. if, if you have, and this is a life lesson that I've learned. If, if you have even middling success at anything, you will have haters and people who attempt to tear you down. Oh, God. Yes. Yeah. You could have something like a happy relationship or a nice car. And there are mm -hmm. people that want to kill you for it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, hopefully not literally, but we'll try to, you know, we'll we'll try to kill you rhetorically or emotionally because mm -hmm. they want your stuff and they think they deserve it more than you. And yet you don't need to be a world class anything to have those people hanging around. Yeah, but, absolutely. But it's, but it's I'm sure it's much worse if you do. Yes, exactly. Well, yeah. it's even harder as a sports as an athlete than a musician or an actor. Mm. I think, you know, with actors, you, you achieve success and you're kind of coasting on, well, I wouldn't say coasting, you're kind of putting in these performances, especially if you're a theater or a film person, where, you know, it gets done in a vacuum and then it gets exposed and then you can get loved for it. Mm -hmm. uh, with sports biopics, what always hits me is these people are fighting so desperately for the ability to have a high intensity shot mm. like at the end she did everything she possibly could to get to the olympics she still has to skate at the damn olympics all of that was just to get a chance at the most insane scary thing you could like they say some people wait a lifetime yeah usually for like oh for their wedding for finding true love like mm -hmm. to get a chance to maybe find out in, there's only one winner you know right that's hard. Oh yeah, and there are so many people who go down and and fail to fail to get on top of that mountain through no fault mm -hmm. of their own. There mm -hmm. you know the the sports world is littered with stories of people who appeared to have everything it took and were taken down by something like a, a random injury. Mhm. Mm yeah, or 
you know, I mean, something that happens a lot in, in pro sports is a, a player won't get a shot because they're not on the right team at the right time. Mm-hmm. They'll be, uh, they seem to have all the talent in the world, but they're stuck behind a veteran player who's obviously better at this stage. Mm-hmm. And so they sit on the bench and they get frustrated and they get pissed off because they're just practice players and they never get out there. Mm-hmm. You know, they're never playing in prime time. They're just waiting and waiting. Yeah. And some of them wait, some wait forever. Yeah, honestly, you could just be born at the wrong time between the intervals of the Olympics and not be at your prime when it's time for the Olympics. Like, oh, you would have qualified last year, but it's this year. So mm-hmm. too bad, so sad, you know? Right. I, I think that's why this is such a compelling sports movie is because this is such a not beloved character and mm-hmm. she struggles so much, but you do still root for her. Oh, for sure. Yeah, well, you, you definitely want mm-hmm. her to beat out the snobs. Mm-hmm. especially after they basically tell her it doesn't matter what you do out there. We just don't like you. And that's uh, obviously that's hard for, you know, sports fans are obsessed with justice, probably more than a lot of other groups. Mm. And that's why we, we freak out when we feel like the officials are being unfair and it turns into a, a talking point that never ends. Mm-hmm. And people are furious, you know, 20,000 people in an arena chanting, you suck ref, <laughs> and that kind of thing. And so we, the idea of a sport that has an artistic component that, mm-hmm. that's got some subject subjectivity to it. Oh boy. It, it's difficult. And I think a lot of team sports fans have a hard time with competitions where people's opinions matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's easier to say, okay. Um, you know, Jason Tatum had 33 points last night and his team won by five. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's right there in the numbers. <laughs> it's not subjective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only the only part of team sports that's subjective is referees, who who usually have the good sense to to stay unmentioned yes. if they do a decent job. <laughs> I don't know a single famous referee name that I can come up with. So no, I can only think of one, and he was uh, he was in trouble for uh, for cheating. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so not for any good yeah. reason. Yep. So with this movie, is there anything that you wish you could have changed to make it slightly better for you? Hmm. Let me think about that. Yeah, other than I would have toned down the music mm-hmm, cues mm-hmm. as mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess that it Yeah, I guess that it ended as it should have or as it needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, normally I would be saying like I wanted to know more about the ins and outs of the competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can say Yeah, actually one one favor the movie did for me mm-hmm. because I think most people when watching figure skating are either excited to watch someone fall spectacularly mm. or are dreading that moment. Yeah. You know, you're, you're terrified that someone's going to go down and then get up and keep skating while sobbing mm-hmm. uh, or worse that they go down and can't get up because they broke something. And then the, they're the, uh, you know, they're the jerks that are like, hey, someone's going to fall, you know, <laughs> or like your NASCAR fans. Right. Yeah. Good grief. Uh, so this, this movie did not, fall into that trap of making it all about the big fall. They could have made that a bigger part of the story because they all go down eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, so they did me the favor of not making me watch a gruesome injury, <laughs> which I'm sure they could have fit in to the storyline if they wanted to. Oh yeah. They don't even bother to be very gruesome about the injury to Kerrigan. I also think because it was so quick and not actually that gruesome, but right. like we don't even see it happen. We, we see it off the bottom of the frame happened. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and it's surprising. I think that 
she didn't get hurt worst, given that that guy was at least twice her size. Mm-hmm. Even if he was my size, he was probably twice her size because she's probably a little tiny person. Yes, if they talk about Tanya Harding being overweight and big framed for right. figure skating, like Jesus Christ, right. okay. Which is preposterous because um, if, yeah. if you were overweight, you wouldn't be able to do 10% of what she did out there. I want to draw the fact that they were like, she's the first U.S. woman to be able to do a triple Lutz. And I'm like, yeah, maybe she has the muscle mass to do it. (laughs) Right. Well, I've actually read about this in ballet. Mm -hmm. They say that there are roles and dances that cannot be done because the dancers uh, don't have enough muscle. You know, there, there are things that historically have been part of certain ballets or, you know, certain ballets have accentuated these dances where you had to be a bit stronger to pull off the moves or to have the stamina to get through certain pieces. And they avoid that because it be- becomes more about how a dancer is supposed to look uh, than how they're supposed to dance, which is a problem. Wow. That is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, Can- cannot verify, not my field, but that's what I read. And you will, we'll ask the viewers to verify in the comments if anybody wants right to, on. if anybody wants to tell us we're wrong, otherwise that's now fact. Right on. <laughs> But that's awesome. That's very, very interesting. Yeah. I do agree with you about the soundtrack. I enjoyed it when I was like, oh, hey, I get it. But a lot of the times I, I with soundtracks that are that prevalent to the point mm. where the subtitles are picking them up, yep. I often say to myself, like, well, you know, that's cool. But I, as a viewer, I can emotionally figure this out myself with mm-hmm. the acting. But thanks. <laughs> right. Yeah. And typically, just for me, I usually enjoy a movie more when it has a good orchestral score and when the original pieces are things I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I want to be I want to be in here saying, wow, what song is that? I'm going to have to look that one up later. That's very interesting. Yeah, and then I meet a new artist that I didn't know. And of course, I'm always hoping that, that they pick me up for a soundtrack. And then people are asking that about my song. So as far as a biopic goes, do you feel like this was better than most? Yes, I think it succeeded overall. There was a lot to like about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Margot Robbie's performance was excellent. Alison Janney was mm-hmm. excellent. Uh, mm-hmm. Good comic relief during the first half. Not mm-hmm. so much during the second half. I can live with that. Okay. Yeah, so the, this is our... I'm approaching the, the final three questions of every episode. That was the, did you like it? Would you would you recommend this to other people? Um, I would, but of course I would be... Uh, I would be careful about who I recommended it to. Mm. I have... Just be, I, I have some friends and family that I know wouldn't enjoy it and others that I think would. Mm-hmm. You know, I have I have friends who are like me, but worse in that they, they literally need a Michael Bay movie. If something isn't blowing up or crashing every 10 seconds, they're out. They just don't have the attention span for anything else. Yeah, no, we did Michael Bay's Bad Boys, Bad Boys uh, as our second episode. And I have to say, I was disappointed that there was not more explosions. <laughs> right. Well... You know, and then you then you watch Fury Road, and you're good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know? yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm not saying it wasn't good. It wasn't a good experience, but it was a a enlightening experience. So mm-hmm. I can see what you're saying there. With every movie, there's going to be people for whom it is not for, regardless of how good it is. Right. Uh, I think there's a lot of Disney movies that are not technically for me, regardless mm-hmm. of how good they are. Although I did just watch Lilo and Stitch and that is a great movie and it is for me and I loved it. Yes. Well, I, yeah, there's no accounting for taste. I had a housemate way back when who who got into a tremendously huge movie argument with me. Oh, no. We, 
where we both we both stormed out of the room pissed off <laughs> uh, because I had just watched Heat and he had just watched oh man uh Wings of Desire Oh I'm so sorry for him Right but he thought Wings of Desire was high art and he thought that Heat was crap Oh and, well you <laughs> And I thought the exact opposite and we like had like a baseball umpire you know faces pressed against each other and yelling type argument about these movies and I've just both walked away thinking this guy has no taste whatsoever. (laughs) What a clown. (laughs) Well, this is the heart of the the most important argument when you're talking about reviewing any kind of art. Mm -hmm. Enjoyability versus like mm, artistic validity within the like community it comes from. So like a film for film people has to be very filmy, has to be like El Topo. And Mm -hmm. even within that, like I'm supposed to be a film person. I've fucking hate movies like that i do want to be able to at least enjoy a small amount of it i don't want to feel like this is homework and wings of desire you know it feels like homework and let's be honest they based that horrible nicholas cage movie on it so it's not that good if when you (laughs) squeeze it you get that (laughs) right right yep yeah and i yeah i know what you mean i like a lot of artsy films Mm -hmm. you know i i adored upstream color Mm -hmm. that's on my on my top 10 for sure but yet uh, i know a lot of people that wouldn't be able to get through it mm-hmm. and and i've frequently uh, tried to well i stopped trying but i used to try to get your husband to read my favorite sci-fi novel knowing very well that it was not for everyone and he <laughs> he tried he, 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 he bailed out a few chapters in yeah uh <laughs> good, you know Good college try, Scott. Appreciate you. You do what you can. <laughs> well, yeah, and that that's also true is that what one considers artsy is going to be varied for people. There are some people who aren't going to see everything everywhere all at once because it's too artsy. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm like, no, this is this is this is like when you talk about American politics. I'm like, no, this isn't left. Uh, this is conservative. I want real left. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, when I when I went to see everything everywhere, people walked out. Mm-hmm. 20, 20 to 25 minutes in, there were people who were stomping out of the theater, <laughs> shaking their heads, like, what the hell did I just pay for? <laughs> and then those that stayed were, were pretty much giving it a standing ovation at the end. Mm-hmm. Perfect, perfect, perfect example yeah. of a, a, a movie that's somewhat polarizing, but really hits the spot for a certain group of people. And even what we think of us artsy has changed within time because this is a fact from the next episode where we do Moonstruck. Moonstruck was supposed to start with a song from La Boheme over the beginning intro. Mm. It's a like swooping in shot, um, but they had to change it to be That's Amore because people in the test audiences were walking out going, if this is going to be an artsy opera movie, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> like two minutes in. Yep. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, you got to be careful. I mean, not every movie is for everyone, but you don't want to sell it too hard. And Moonstruck is a perfectly cromulent movie for everyone. Like, it's fun. I loved it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, uh, did you ever see a movie called Zentropa? No. I don't know who the director was, but it was, uh, it was a a quote unquote adult movie that my parents rented (laughs) to watch after my sister and I went to bed. It wasn't like a porno, but it was like, not for kids. You know, a a head movie Mm -hmm. that they knew I wouldn't like. And the next morning, my dad woke me up and said, oh, yeah, your mom and I just watched the shittiest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I I have to show you the first two minutes of it so you can see how shitty it is, too. Here, smell this milk. And I think it's gone bad. Exactly. 
Yeah, so he, he drags me into the living room and, and starts the, the v- yeah, VHS in those days, puts the, puts the VHS tape on, and it's a, it's a black screen with a voiceover that's basically like, uh, like someone's trying to hypnotize you <laughs> for, for about three or four minutes, but it's really pretentious, artsy stuff. No images at all, just, just a, a low European voice saying a lot of big words with an accent and just kind of telegraphing like this movie is going to be really artsy and really important. And I'm like, what the hell? And then he's like, yeah, this is where we turned it off. And he turns the tape off. <laughs> yep. um, so my sister has kind of coined this term uh, ringuing a person. Hmm. When you see a movie that is as bad as you have just described, it kind of clings to your psyche. Yes. And the only way to get rid of it is to hmm. trick someone else into watching it. Oh, wow. So she will watch an artsy movie like that and then tell me yeah. like, oh, you really got to check this out without any additional information, knowing that I will nice. watch almost any movie anyway. And then I'll call her back. I'll be like, what the f- you just? And she'd be like, yeah, I, wanna- <laughs> I just wanted to have a bitch session about this movie with somebody else. Like, damn you, you ringooed me. Well, I saw the, uh, yeah, I saw the worst movie ever made. I'm convinced. Oh. And. I say that with love because it takes a great deal of effort and determination to finish mm-hmm. a feature film. Absolutely. God love all the all the terrible small-time directors out there who have finished their mm-hmm. movies. Maximum respect. It's a whole village. Yes. Yeah. Uh, somebody made an indie sci-fi called Alien, colon, Reign of Man. Ooh, never need the colon. Ooh. And uh, yes, it, it... You know how like the, the room... Uh, makes no sense. Yeah, and the script the script doesn't hold together, and there's all kinds of dropped threads, and you know, so uh, yeah, Alien: Reign of Man is a thousand times worse than The Room in that way. Yeah, like a- after the movie, I don't know a single person that could explain what it was about or what what had just happened. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I have to share that with as many poor souls as I can yes. it, it really it really is amazing you almost couldn't make a more incoherent movie if that was your plan yeah like if you were trying to sing off key you couldn't sing that badly exactly oh, that's very funny because I think sometimes as I'm pitching this show to people who are interested in being on the show mm-hmm. they'll be like oh yeah I think I would hate and then they'll name a movie like that and I'll be like yeah no mm-hmm. that's just a that's a categorically bad movie you either like watching bad movies because they're funny i can't i'm not a magician over here i can't pull (laughs) something out of my ass and just make the terrifier two of a good movie for you like that's not what this show is (laughs) yeah we're not we're not watching battlefield earth on this show uh that we are way past that now (laughs) yeah no no but i could probably find you a john travolta movie that's not mm-hmm. so bad. If oh, Battlefield yeah. Earth ruined you for ruined him for you, we could we could dial that back a little. Yeah, I, good example. If you think you hate that actor, well, are you sure? Yeah. Yeah, I can. Uh, I'm not a miracle worker, but I can triage. Right. It's like trying to find the John Mayer album that I will enjoy listening to. My favorite story <laughs> about John Mayer, and this is great because I I hear he is not a a good human being he's a little bit full of himself uh my dad met him once at a coffee shop uh where he was doing an open mic both my dad and him were just doing an open mic Ah. and uh after he performed my dad goes up to him and says you know like good job kid if you stick with it i really think you got something here man just 
you know, keep practicing your practice. And this is like a month before he was nominated for like his first Grammy or something. Uh, so my dad comes home. He's like, I heard this young guy do a song called Your Body is Some Sort of, I don't know, Wonderland. It, it was cute. Oh, no. Bless yeah. his heart. <laughs> All right. And my final question. Having Hit taken me. the ride, uh, how do you feel? Do you feel like you – was it worth it? Do you feel like you learned a little bit more about biopics? Do you feel like it changed your opinion about the genre? Probably not. Uh, about the genre, no, mm -hmm. but I'm glad I watched the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's still not – you know, it's not going to be the first card I pull when I go to the movie to try to, you know, see a, a biopic. But, mm -hmm. yes, uh, this one uh, – yeah, this one landed the – at least a double axle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good 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 tie-in yeah 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 awesome awesome well thank you so much for coming on and again uh, even more so thank you for giving us these clips of music to put in between the segments here today that makes my job a lot easier as well yes and indeed. it makes it really enjoyable for the audience to get to hear some of the art from our artists this week i love it uh any last last words before you go oh come see mystic warrior live we're playing out um and uh yeah hire me for your session guitar <laughs> yes so well uh, if people want i will put this in the liner notes as mm. well but if people wanted to get the album uh, today because it's coming out today mm. or find more information on you they could uh google go to a website uh yes and uh yeah let's see best place to go the clearinghouse is probably the mystic warrior music uh facebook page where mm -hmm. where links to all else will be provided Wonderful. That will be in the liner notes as well. So if you're listening, you can click on that. Lovely. Awesome. All right. Thanks Thanks for the plug. You're so, so welcome. Thanks for coming on the show. And everybody out there, thank you for listening. Everybody's getting thanks. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> What you just heard was called Orcas Biting the Dicks Off Our Floating Idols from the album named Animal Rights by Mystic Warrior. And I have to say, hilarious name. Really, really fucking groovy song. I really like that song. It's my favorite so far off of the album, which I also did grab myself. It is super funky, super interesting. You get 13 tracks, so a good decent amount for what they're asking. It's off of Bandcamp. Again, as always, everything that I reference is going to be available in those liner notes so you can find it. But if you don't want to do that, go to Bandcamp, type in Mystic Warrior. You'll find it there. Go to Facebook, type in Mystic Warrior. You'll find it there. The album is named Animal Rights, R-I-T-E-S. And that last song was Orcas Biting the Dicks Off Our Floating Idols. The first song was Mr. Gray, and the second song you heard was Church of Spiders. Just so that you know, if you're looking for those ones in particular, those were the songs that were featured in this episode today.
As I mentioned before, this month's theme is musicians, which means our next episode will have a musician as our guest again, and it's going to be someone you have heard me talk about before on the show. We have heard me be on shows with him as well. It's going to be Conan Neutron of Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. He is also of Coda Neutron and Protonic Reversal and Movie Night Extravaganza, but we're talking to him as a musician and as a really fantastic viewer of movies, so I guess also Coda Neutron of Movie Night Extravaganza. He's got a bunch of super interesting things going on besides the podcast that we're on. He's doing a thing called Catterwall, which is a music festival out in Minneapolis, Minnesota, May 24th through the 27th. They just revealed their full band list, so go check them out. You can literally just type the word Catterwall, C-A-T-E-R-W-A-U-L, into Google, Catterwall Music Fest, and you're going to get that list of the bands that are available. It's looking like a really, really fun show. Go check that out. He'll be on talking to us about his dislike of rom-coms. And we're going to drop this episode a day early in honor of the fact that it's about rom-coms and it would have been on the 15th. We're going to drop it on the 14th as a happy Valentine's Day. You can enjoy your love of the day with an episode based about whether or not there's a decent rom-com for someone who doesn't typically like the genre because we're going to be looking at Moonstruck, a really wonderful film that I had missed until recently, and I am super surprised about how much I wound up liking it. So if you want to talk about Moonstruck, or if you just want to listen to Conan, because he's a really interesting person to listen to, come on in next episode, follow us, subscribe, all of those things that you need to do, and you will find out when that comes out. Of course, I'm going to remind you one more time to join me on TikTok at Movie Runtime. That's the name. Check out these reviews that I'm doing. Suggest some movies for me to watch. Enjoy the hilarity of trying to elliptical the length of an entire movie. Everyone keeps asking me if I'm going to do Killers of the Flower Moon. I do need to watch it before the Oscars, which would mean that I'd need to do it before, say, mid-March. I'm thinking, I'm looking at it. I did Hidden Fortress. That was two and a half hours. This would be an extra hour longer. Maybe we could have a, a almost elliptical marathon and I could see if I could get through that film. If you want to know, you'll have to follow me on TikTok. As always, thank you so much for coming and listening to these episodes and joining us for these conversations. I really, really do appreciate it. Listening.